Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 102. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm really excited to introduce a very special guest, Rich Doucette. Rich, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Yes, I am. All right. It's great to have you here. Rich Doucette is the founding chairman of the Boston Cup Classic Car Show. Along with a group of automotive enthusiasts, he and his team stepped up when their local Concours event came to an end. And in 2012, the inaugural Boston Cup Classic Car Show was launched. Their event takes place every September in the Boston Common. Rich is an active member of the collector car community, judging Concours events and restoring classic automobiles. He serves on the board of the Mercedes-Benz Club of America Minutemen Chapter, the Classic Car Club of America, New England Region, and the Antique Automobile Club of America Beanpot Chapter. So, Rich, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you to get things rolling here. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history, perhaps your career, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, I'm a former ad guy, and I always have had a fascination with automobiles. I've actually worked on a bunch of automobile accounts, Pontiac way back when in the 70s, Oldsmobile after that actually did a big project with Volkswagen in the 90s. was a Chevy family. I think I inherited my dad's 59 Chevy Impala. Cool. Which, which was a boat. <laughs> it was gigantic. But I took that car to high school, and I drove it to college from uh, outside of Boston, from Waltham into the city of Boston. So it was my first car. Really enjoyed it. Didn't know anything about any other cars other than Chevys until I got my first job as the mailboy in an ad agency. <laughs> and my boss happened to have a 73 BMW 3.0 CS. Ooh, nice. So I had the opportunity to drive that car and fell in love with German performance. Ooh, yes. To never look back. <laughs> I understand. I have a 
I have a good friend, Bill, just bought one out of Germany. It should be here in about a month, so I can't wait to see it. Well, I had no clue that a car like that existed that could perform that well, could corner that well, could go that fast, could stop, could do just about anything. Yeah. I think I think I took an exit ramp at 110. Oh, don't tell and your I, boss. I, <laughs> right. Well, actually, he was a pretty hard driver, too. But the beauty of it was is that I fell in love with a different kind of car because of that exposure and subsequently have become kind of a German automobile loyalist, owning nothing but Mercedes, primarily since 1987. And it was primarily because of that exposure to that car that I had as a kid in my 20s. Nice. It's kind of funny how the business or life is a little circuitous. It's a little serendipitous. Yep. I think back to the little model uh, when kids used to glue models from Rydell and we do cars and planes and trains and everything. Oh, yeah. The first model I ever did, I didn't even know what it was, ended up being a 300 SL Mercedes. Oh, okay, cool. And I actually never saw one until 20 or 25 years later. Yeah. But I remember it. A little red convertible. It was it stuck in my mind, and so I've become a German loyalist as a result of it. So oh. I'm a car guy, I guess is what you would call me. Yeah, very cool. Well, you were in the ad business for many years. You got to work around ad campaigns with cars, which is very cool and very exciting and near to my heart. You got involved with the Boston Cup, the Concours event. Tell us a little bit about what led up to that. Well, there used to be a great show here in the Northeast at the Crane Estate, which is a beautiful property at Castle Hill in Ipswich, Massachusetts. And it was a prestigious concours that was growing, and everybody looked forward to it every September. I would go with my friends. There would be beautiful cars up at the top of the hill, the pre-war cars, just like Pebble Beach. And then the funny thing is there was a show within a show because Gullwings would show up or Jaguars would show up or the Porsche Club would show up. And we all looked forward to it. Well, one summer I asked my friend what the date was for the show, and he said, oh, the show has been canceled. Mm. The trustees of the reservation have decided that it isn't worth all the work to have the dirty cars to come on the grass. (laughs) The dirty cars. (laughs) Right. And they could make as much money with a couple of weddings over the weekend than they could with the car show. So in the middle of the night, in January or February, they voted not to allow them to come back, Mm. and the show went away. Oh, darn. Yeah. Following that, in 2005, Ralph Lauren had his car collection at the Museum of Fine Arts. Yes, I remember that. And it was spectacular. Yep. Uh, All about style, beauty, uh, and... Speed, I think, wasn't it? Yep, speed, style, and beauty, exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. So I decided with my car buddies after that show in 2006, including Peter Barassa and guys like Ed Owen and a whole bunch of other people, that we would try to bring back Castle Hill and try to combine it with a little bit of what we saw at the Museum of Fine Arts, do it in the city of Boston, and aspirationally try to get it on the Boston Common, which at the time we didn't think would ever be possible. And lo and behold, uh, from 2006 to 2012, we actually got the permit. We staged the first show. The city loved it. 
and we just completed our third uh, third year. All right. Congratulations. Thank you. With over $100 million worth of cars. Wow. On America's oldest public park. And I'm told by some attendees that we are now the premier classic car show in the Northeast. All right. After three years. Oh, well, I know how much work car shows are and tremendous job you guys have done. I can't wait to come back and see next year's show. I hope I can attend that. Uh, sounds like a fantastic event, fantastic location. And of course, being where you are, you must be able to attract some really special vehicles. Well, you know, it's funny. When I was doing research for the show, there were many, many wonderful people that helped me out, including the people that ran the Castle Hill show. Mm-hmm. They shared with me what they did right and what they did wrong. I also got great insight from the people at Amelia Island, the people at Hilton Head Concours, the people at Newport, the people in Greenwich. And basically what the advice I got from everybody was, birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> yes, car guys hang with so car guys. If you get a great car, then you will get other great cars. Yep. And so... The cars are the stars, yep. is basically my quote. Mm-hmm. And myself and my organizers truly do not want to be uh, singled out because it does take a village of about 50 people. But we want them to focus on the automobiles. Absolutely. And we've had some extraordinary cars and some extraordinary collectors who were there at the very beginning and who now come back every year. And without them, we would not have a car show. Well, you know, it's so true. They started a car show here in the Pacific Northwest called the Kirkland Concours. And I remember, I knew most of the guys involved with that event. In the first two years, three years, it rained. And it rains a lot up here in the Northwest. Of course, it picked that day to rain. And, oh, talk about a tough start. But there were special people with special collections that stuck it out, brought their cars, rain or shine, and now that event, which has moved to the LeMay Museum as of last year, is in its eighth and ninth year. And it takes time to build the momentum for these things. But you're right, when you get the right people, the right cars, they become spectacular events. And events that people start going to that aren't just locals. They fly in for them to attend them. And Boston is such a wonderful city. Be a great destination car concours event to attend. That's fantastic. As we continue on your journey here, Rich, I like to start with a success quote. And it's a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, something that has great meaning to you. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Rich, take the wheel. Well, you know, it's funny. I thought about this for a while, and there are so many that I quote, but I think the best one that has stuck with me now for quite a long time was from a gentleman in Boston who was a broadcaster. And his quote was, life is not a rehearsal. (laughs) And I think that really was the inspiration for this car show and just about everything else that I've done. Because if I knew how much work it would entail to put this on, I probably never would have embarked on it. Don't give away that secret (laughs) to people. (laughs) But I flew beyond the point of no return. Sure, sure. Well, that's a wonderful quote. And can you think of some examples of how you've incorporated that into your life and 
and perhaps even into the event itself? Well, I mean, I'll give you an example. There are people who have done very well in life and they've retired and they're thinking about getting, you know, the car that they had when they were in high school and when they were in college. Mm -hmm. And I would say a good 50% of them are reluctant to buy the car, an old MG, for ten to fifteen or twenty thousand dollars, when they actually might be worth millions, and my comment to them is, "What are you waiting for? <laughs> life, life is not a rehearsal." Yes. So, buy it. Yeah, you know, I am sitting here chuckling because I had an interview about an hour before you called in with Ed Justice Jr., the Justice Brothers Company, very well known in the automotive industry for their chemicals and. their uncles back in the day that race and so forth. And he said the same thing. His parting advice to the listeners was, go out and get a collector car. And I had a guest on who's a TV personality, Lance Lambert, who said the same thing. He said, you don't have to be rich to buy a collector car. Give me $5,000 and I'll buy you a car that will get you into almost any car show. Maybe not Amelia Island or Pebble Beach, but a car that you'll be proud of, that you'll have fun with, and mostly you'll start to meet people and become part of the car hobby community. So I love the way you said that and the way you've incorporated that into, and I love your advice. Just go for it. Do it. Life's not a rehearsal. That is for sure. You never know when your last days may be coming. So could you tell us a story that instigated your passion for cars? There's always a pivotal moment in a car guy's life when he really knew or knows he's a car guy. Ooh, well, I'm thinking to maybe when I had the opportunity to not inherit a car and actually go buy my first car. Mm, Yeah. And it was when I just got out of college and I had a good job at an ad agency and I wanted a fun car. And my cousin worked at a Chevy dealership and they had a Canary Yellow 1970 Camaro, Mm -hmm. the automatic with a big engine. Yep. And I, they gave me the price, and I said, okay, I'll pay you that price, but I want it repainted, I want new wheels, I want new tires, I want it totally tuned, and, I want, and, and that's going to be my car. And that, be, that was my car right out of college. Nice. And a friend of mine liked it so much that he went back to the same dealership and bought the sister car to it. Oh, <laughs> in red. So there was a yellow Camaro buzzing around Boston, and there was a red Camaro buzzing around Boston, and we enjoyed the hell out of those cars. Oh. So I think I think that was the point where I became a car guy, because I actually put my money where my mouth is. Yeah, and it means so much more when you buy it for yourself, and it's not given to you. You take so much better care of it, and it really becomes a, a part of you. So Yeah. So you ask, you know, later on, you have a question asking about what's your regret. Yeah. My regret is that I don't have that car anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you jumped ahead on me there a little bit, but we can talk a little bit about that when we get there. But, uh, yeah. yeah, we yeah. all have those stories, don't we? Those cars we let go that we wish we could have back. And, sure. Yep. Uh, I hear that over and over again. And many times it's that first car that was in your life, that first special car. So, yeah. fantastic. So, Rich, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and get our hands a little dirty here. Talk about a huge challenge you faced in your life. Uh, Maybe it's around the the Boston Concours, or maybe it was a career challenge, or even a great failure. But more importantly, 
share with us how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it. Well, the car show actually almost didn't get off the ground because when we originally were talking to the city of Boston, we had offered them $20,000 to hold the event. And there was an association that was a charitable foundation that actually helped restore part of the common. And they got wind of our offer and called me up and said, oh, that's not enough. We would never allow you on the Boston Common unless you wrote a check for $100,000 for a no-admission show. Our, our show is free to the public. Oh, okay. So, you know, it's paid for primarily by sponsorship Yes. and charitable contributions. And so that was pretty much the death of the show. Mm. I subsequently tried to look for other locations in and around Boston, and each of them had appeal but had problems. Uh, one was on the waterfront. It didn't pan out. And I kept going further along the water and down the coast, and eventually I gave up. So the, the show died for a while. And then a uh, former city official I ran into at a charitable event, and he asked me when my car show was going to be. And I told him it wasn't going to be. And he said, well, let's have lunch and talk about it. And I sat with him and explained the whole history of it. And he said, would you be comfortable going from twenty to 25000 And I said, sure, mm -hmm. as long as it's not a hundred. Yeah. He made two phone calls, and I had the permit the next day. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, so it comes back to people, doesn't it? Talking to the right people, explaining what right. you're trying to do, the real meaning behind it. Wow, that's so, fantastic. So I think one of the keys was never giving up. Yes. But also taking my time. When they made that phone call asking for the 100, my inclination was to be slam the phone. Instead, I said, well, it doesn't look like we can have the car show then because that number is just not, you know, realistic. Sure. My inclination was to tell them, give them a piece of my mind, <laughs> but I didn't. And I think as a result of that, and this other gentleman who doesn't want any credit, who made the phone calls, you know, it took somebody to stick their neck out a little bit and say, this is foolish, it's a great idea, it'll be great for the city of Boston, it's the kind of event that we want, and he got it for me. Fantastic. Well, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum and Perhaps you could share a story with me, and maybe it was a story you just shared, but a real aha moment. And this is a moment in time when you realize, you know what, I think this is going to really happen. I think this can move forward. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. Well, the um, <laughs> the aha moment was uh, my show is in September, on September 20th. And I got the permit on June 15th. Hmm. And I had to put together the car show. That's pretty tight. In that short period of time. Yeah. To say it was 24-7 would be an understatement. <laughs> but somehow we miraculously pulled it off. Mm -hmm. And when we did it in July, in three months, I knew that if I had a full year for the next year, that it would be a lot easier. Right. And so year two was easy and year three was easy. So the aha, aha moment was if you can do if i can do a halfway decent car show in 3 months imagine what i could do with a full year absolutely fantastic 
Is there a moment that you were really proud of with this car show, and could you share that with us? Well, it it comes from people who have never been in there before who finally agree to show a car, and they come to me afterwards and say, I've never had more fun at a car show in my entire life. Mm. I've been to Amelia, I've been to Pebble, I've been to Goodwood, I've been all over the world, and there's something about your show I like it better than all the other ones. Can you identify what it is that that particular person found so wonderful? Well, there's, the less, there's less pressure because the cars are judged by the owners themselves. Okay. If you go to Pebble or you go to Amelia and the guys show up in their blue blazers and their straw hats and their clipboards and something doesn't work, even though you've prepped the car for the last 18 months, You've got a certain amount of time to get it working again, mm-hmm. and there's panic, there's tension, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong. Mine is more of an owner-to-owner French-style beauty contest, mm-hmm. and believe it or not, the owners picked the cars that we would have picked anyway. Sure. Because they know. Yep. So we're never surprised with some oddball car that doesn't deserve to win. The cars that deserve to win deserve to win because the owners know that the car sitting next to his car is actually a better car than his car, and he doesn't mind voting for it. Right, right. Wonderful. So I think, that, I think that's the magic of it, is that there isn't the pressure that comes with Pebble. Oh, I see that. They, they judge the Kirkland Concours in a similar way where it's a more, you say a beauty contest, that may be trivializing it a little bit because of the right. the true magnificence of these vehicles. But uh, you're right, it is a less tense event. I had a car of my own at the Kirkland Concours last year and didn't even feel the pressure that I might have felt at a local club event where they have a Concours, where the guy's reaching behind your engine with a white glove, and you're like, oh, right, I hope he right. doesn't find I mean, it. I've, I, <laughs> yeah. I've judged both ways. I've yeah. judged both ways. And you got to be, you know, when you're doing the white glove thing and you're looking for the minutia, right. it can be pretty disheartening to the owner. Right. Because they thought they got everything right, and then you see the reflection of the wiper blade on the chrome on the windshield, and the, the spring is a little rusty. Mm-hmm. Or the screw that's used somewhere in an obscure yeah. spot is not quite the right fastener <laughs> that maybe Mr. Ferrari screwed onto the car back in the day. So, right, absolutely. Right. That's great. You might have already answered this next question, but I want to have a little fun. What yeah. was your first really special vehicle? Well, I, it wasn't really the Camaro, actually. I, I have a different answer for you. It was my first Mercedes-Benz in 1987. Hmm. Neat. And what was so special about that for you? Well, I had come off of car leases and all sorts of other cars, and it was finally time for me to make my next decision. And since I'd liked German, I went to a local Mercedes dealership and uh, bought a 300E nice. and proceeded to drive it for 240,000 miles. <laughs> <laughs> you got some use out of that one. Yeah. Yeah, well, I absolutely fell in love with the way they drove and figured out that they don't break in until you hit 60,000 miles. Mm, yeah. 
So that literally was my first test case, and subsequently, all of my daily drivers since 1987 have been nothing but Mercedes. Nice, nice. They are fantastic cars. What about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've let go in your past that you just really wish you could have back? Well, my specialty is Mercedes, so I've had 190s, 230s, 250s, 280s, 450s, 560s. And if I had known what was going to happen with the 190s and the 280s in the last couple of years... <laughs> well, if we'd all known uh, what was going to happen in the last couple right, of years. Right, right. I wouldn't call it remorse, though, because I think the thing you have to do is you, it went to a good home, and the people who, wherever they ended up, I knew that what I sold them was a quality car. What I like to do with cars is get them, fix them, drive them, make them bulletproof. So even if you're not a car guy... Mm-hmm. and you buy the car, everything works. So right. if it's got air conditioning, the air conditioning has to work. If it's got, everything's got to work. Every bulb, every single thing. I don't care what it costs, I'm bulletproof. Right. Because they're not going to pay attention to the cars like I do. Yeah. Well, the other thing about letting cars go is at the time that you let the car go, it was the right choice at that time. Whatever the right. choice, whatever the reason, if you needed the money or you're moving on to another vehicle and you needed the funds to transfer into that or or whatever it was, you just fell out of love with the car. So looking back and saying, oh, gosh, if I'd only known it was going to be worth three times as much, I would have kept it. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, you can't look at it that way. You just have to no. move forward and enjoy the the memories that you had with that vehicle. Is there a current project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Well, I mean, it it still goes back to the car show. The the natural progression for this show going into year four and five is to now bring in an auction element. Oh, nice. Yep. And I've been talking to some of the auction houses about trying to bring them back to New England. A bunch of years ago, Bonhams tried to do something up here, and it didn't go particularly well. But I don't think they had the product, nor did they have the buyers. Mm Mm-hmm. But I do think for a car, to, a car show to have legitimacy, it needs an auction element, it needs a road rally, it needs a bunch of other things. So if you follow the Pebble Beach and the Amelia Island and the Hilton Head and all the other ones, that's got me pretty excited because I think with a year to go, I think we could have a lot of fun and maybe start with 50 cars. So that's got me excited. Oh, wonderful. You know, that's, it's, uh, you know it's, it's part of the never-ending story. The other thing is I'm starting to attract some young people that have volunteered to help out and be, um, I'm meeting with a guy tomorrow that wants to be my intern, mm-hmm. unsolicited on my part, and I'm tickled pink yeah. that a young that a young car guy that's still, who's still in college reached out to me and asked if he could help. Oh, fantastic. You know, another person, if you haven't thought of reaching out to is maybe McKeel Haggerty, because they're involved in many events and they have... Uh, a young person's group that comes in and does judging. And it's the same thing at the Kirkland Concours we have here. There's a young group of kids. They're usually in high school, junior high. And they actually form an organization. They go through and they judge a car and select their choice of car. So I think think it's great to get the young people involved in the car hobby to keep that passion going and educate folks, young folks, about these vehicles, many of them they've never seen before. Well, we actually had the Haggerty Kid Judges this year. Oh, wonderful. Because okay. Haggerty was a sponsor of the show. Oh, and a, perfect. Friend of, and a friend of mine has a 13-year-old son who's uh, been doing this stuff for a long time now. Yeah. And he, he headed it up. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Well, McKeel and Haggerty, they're such a great company, and they've done such a great job of 
of keeping the car hobby alive and, and involving young kids. I think that's fantastic. So great. Sounds like you're on a good path. Now, Rich, if you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Well, it goes back to the first model car that I ever made. It has to be the Mercedes 300 SL. <laughs> and you said that was you said that was a Roadster instead of the Gullwing? Yes, uh, it was the Roadster. Cool, very cool. Every time I see one, and every time I've been in one, I can't find a problem with the car. Yeah. It is so beautiful. It almost doesn't even need an engine. Mm-hmm. There's just something about it, and I have no idea how they came up with that car in the 50s. Well, it was so ahead of itself in so many ways, and you've been in these cars. I had the luxury of driving one once, and it almost drives like a new car. It does. It's way ahead of itself. It's almost like somebody you know, looked into the future and mm-hmm. came back and said, let's build a car that will be timeless. Right. Oh. And so that would probably be the car. They are gorgeous. I love those cars. All right, Rich, we're up to the last lap, and this is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So you buckled up and ready? I am. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Buy what you love. (laughs) I like that. I've heard that before, too. So true. Can you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? I never give up. I'm like a dog on a bone. (laughs) And I've heard that one too. That is a great thing, especially for somebody who's putting on a challenging event like what you're doing. Is there a resource that you could share with our listeners that you're really fond of? Maybe it's a website or a blog that you get, or could even be a person. You know, I, I see so many different things. You know, I'm a marketing guy, so I'm looking at everything. Um, I probably read about 50 different newsletters a day. It, it, there's no one place where they come from. Hmm. It's really all over the map. It could be in the Wall Street Journal one day. It could be in Sports Car Digest the next day. It could be in a magazine. It could be in the Boston Globe. You never know where the wisdom is going to come from. Uh, it could be MMR with Peter Barassa, you know, something that he's come across or somebody hmm. he's talked to or he's made an introduction to you. You know, I don't have one. No, none of them are the Bible. But, you know, my eyes, are all, my eyes and ears are always open. Well, very good. And I'll put in a little selfless plug here. If you go to carsyad.com and sign up or subscribe, you can get a free filler-up book on my website. But you can also get my weekly blog, which I hope sends out a little bit of car inspiration, maybe can be added to your, your uh, income and influx of automotive inspiration during the week. So I invite you and the listeners to do that. Is there a book that you've read in the past that you've really enjoyed that you could share with our listeners? I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell, who writes for The New Yorker. I think the one book that um, knocked me out was The Tipping Point. Yes. I just like the way he writes. I think what he says is you already know what he's going to write, but it it gives it some clarity. Yeah. There was a point in time where I bought a hundred copies of that book and gave them to all my clients and suggested that they read them as a Christmas gift. You know what? You're going to think I'm teasing you, but I did the exact same thing. I <laughs> love that book. I was I was so affected by it. I thought, you know, I have some friends that need this book, and I'm going to give it to them as a gift. I think it's a great read. So wonderful choice, my friend. We Great minds think alike, as I should say. 
And I'll remind our listeners that you can find links to all these resources that Rich has shared with us today at carsyeah.com slash Rich Doucette. And Rich's last name is D-O-U-C-E-T-T-E. Do you have any hobbies outside of your passion for cars? I'm a casual golfer. I'm an occasional scuba diver. But most of my spare time is pretty much going to car shows. Going to car shows and in the garage having fun. Yeah. That's great. So, Rich, this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and this is something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, and money's no object, today I'm the banker and I'm going to buy you whatever you want. What would that vehicle be and why? Well, I would go back to the 300 SL, and the one I would want would be a one-owner, original car, unrestored, that still runs. Ah, wonderful. Do you have a color choice? I mean, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, obsidian black with Palomino interior. Ooh, nice, nice. Well, that's a great choice. Listen, Rich, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've loved talking with you, enjoyed your stories, and learning more about the Concours event that you run. Could you give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that 300 SL Roadster? <laughs> well, I would say that if you if you really want it, then you got to go for it. Mm. Yep. Nobody else is going to do the work for you. However, if you can find other people who share your passion, then enlist them to help you, the collective you, achieve your goal. You know, that's great advice, and I've heard the saying that you are the collective nature of the the top five people you spend the most time with. And today, listeners, you spent some time with Rich and I today talking about cars, so you're in good company as fellow car enthusiasts, and I appreciate you being here with us. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about your event so they can attend next September? Well, um, there's two places that I recommend. They can go to the website, which is www.thebostoncup.com. You've got to put in the the. Okay. So it's www.thebostoncup.com. But more importantly, I think you'll see a lot of great pictures and a lot of updates if you go to uh, Facebook and look up the Boston Cup as well. A lot of people who come to the shows take their own photographs and share them on Facebook. And some of the best photographs we've ever had of the show and of the cars have come from people that we didn't even know who were at the show. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'll remind everybody listening that you can find links to everything here at carsyad.com slash Rich And Rich, I want to thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences and exposing more people to the Boston Cup Concours. I can't wait to get back there on the East Coast and attend. Sounds like great fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!